one aspect of your uh, research is going to be talking about uh, extreme weather and its impact on agriculture. Can you describe where, where things stand at the moment? As we present this information to people, we're focusing first on the kinds of changes that have already occurred, and then second, the kinds of changes that are forecast. And I think one of the most important points to convey is the fact that it, it's not done yet. <laughs> you know, we're noticing changes, and, uh, and they're having costs, and we're adapting to them along the way, uh, but nevertheless, the costs are impressive. And then, as I say, it's not over yet. There's all, all the projections suggest that uh, Indiana's and the Middle West's uh, climate and environment. Sometimes I say environment because I want to be more inclusive about not just what the temperature is or the rainfall, but also how the organisms, including ourselves, are responding. So just in the last five years, uh, estimates are that extreme weather, highly unpredictable, droughts combined with early flooding uh, has cost Indiana's agriculture $6 billion just in the last five years. And then not agriculture, but back to the Lyme disease, the data from the CDC, Centers for Disease Control, reports a 430% increase in the incidence of Lyme disease already in Indiana. A man named Keith Clay, who's a professor in the biology department, has been studying invasive species and ticks uh, for the last 10 or 15 years, and there's a a link to an interview with him that appeared in the Chicago Tribune in which he was uh, reporting the yet greater increase in uh, Lyme disease in, in this coming summer. So that's the kind of thing that's happening now. And then the two big ones that relate to temperature, but all that follows from temperature, if we project, okay, so let's project uh, 30 years then look and see what the Great Lakes water temperatures might be by 2050. I'm not sure I'm adding very well. Yes, I am. Okay, <laughs> 20 plus 30 is 50. Uh, the projection, projection is for a 7-degree increase in the water temperatures. And then you go, okay, well, what? Oh, is that Fahrenheit or Celsius? Celsius. And the water temperatures uh, will in- impact algal blooms and uh, obviously fish populations and water quality. So being prepared uh, for changes in water, the in- increased need for water, and the fact that the nature of the water uh, will be altered is something we need. It's, it's about preparation. It's about being prepared for that. And then increases in air temperature by 2050, another 30 years, will have impact on corn and soybean production and forests. And, and we think, you know, attractiveness to industry and attractiveness to the state we live in for uh, wanting our kids to stay home. You know, that's always nice. And uh, attracting people to want to live here who will, will make contributions uh, to our economy. There are current impacts and there are projected impacts, and some of those will be call for example disaster planning for cities. Uh, a professor named Beth Gaisley in the School of Public and Environmental Affairs is an expert on disaster planning, and she's part of the Grand Challenge group, and so she will be conducting research that will be helpful to communities like Indianapolis and others around the state. 
I appreciate you sending me your slides of the talk that you gave at the uh, IU Foundation. And one of them that I just was wondering if you could comment on was the tulip tree uh, distribution now, and I think it was 2070. So does that mean that the, the current trees will die or they simply won't reproduce? Let me just back up for a second. So tulip trees have beautiful flowers, as you probably know, orange and green and many, many uh, male floral parts, you know. Um, and they're our state tree. So there's something iconic about tulip trees in Indiana. And currently, all of Indiana is a suitable place for the tulip tree to grow. And so if you look at a map, and for me, maps convey more information than numbers like 4 degrees centigrade or 7 degrees centigrade if you're talking about air temperature, water temperature. If you look at how that plays out in terms of where trees that we use for forestry or for shade for our homes, uh, how that plays out in terms of where they live now and where they're likely to live later, that conveys knowledge to me in a way that my mind and I think other people's minds can grasp. So it takes trees a while to die, um, but they need to replace themselves in order for the forest to be ones that we can both harvest and enjoy. My projections, because of the increases and changes in the predictability of rainfall and also maybe to a lesser degree temperature, they'll be seeking cooler climates. So if you look at a map of where tulip trees will grow in 2070, there aren't any tulip trees uh, replacing themselves in Indiana, but they are up in the Michigan, where they don't grow now, or only in the southern parts of Michigan, higher up in New England and up in Nova Scotia, and in the Appalachians, so that in our eastern mountains, it will still be cool enough to support. Are you going to have a website uh, that the public can access to follow the, the course of the various research areas? Uh? Yes, we very much are. We are still just getting started. Okay, so official start date is July 1. Um, but there's a, currently a website that describes the Grand Challenge Initiative Prepared for Environmental Change under um, the IU Vice President for Research and um, the Grand Challenge Initiative. So sometime after the 1st of July, there will be a, a link. That Already a link. Uh, and it will uh, be populated with content consistently after we're up and running, but there is already content. Here it is. It's um, grandchallenges.iu.edu. Now, at the end of the project, uh, will there be a, a document that's published specifically for uh, the public? I would anticipate yes. So that's a step we haven't reached yet. I'm of course. I'm quite certain that we'll be turning in annual reports to the vice president for research and to the president of the university. They've uh, entrusted us with a large sum of money, and we feel very keenly uh, the responsibility to deliver. I'd like to thank you for your time today and your very uh, careful explanations of things, and uh, I know our listeners will be fascinated. So I've had people already say, you know, tell me when that interview is going to be on the radio, because I want to be sure that I listen to it. They're looking forward to hearing from you. Well, that's very nice. 
we can't do this alone. We need the citizens of Indiana. And so that third pillar that I never got to was effective communication, where we understand each other. What, what are the barriers to common purpose? And uh, let's get going. This is Norm Holly, WFHB. I've been speaking with Professor Ellen Ketterson today on her area of uh, climate change, the grant that she has that will involve many of the uh, researchers around the state. Thank you very much for your time.